What was the, the most uh, memorable thing you guys did that you think really helped accelerate the trust between the team? We actually had people go back and build a timeline of their life in the most influential circumstances to better understand the context of who they are and how they were shaped. And when you hear that story, you know that person a little bit deeper. You connect with them a little bit better and trust begins to build. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Chris Mahalik, who is CEO of Virgin Pulse, part of Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Group. And they are the world's number one health, well-being, and navigation platform. They impact over 100 million people across 190 countries by helping Fortune 500, national health plans, and many other organizations. Chris is passionate about leadership and enabling leaders in his organization to reach their full potential. And he says that leadership is a product of great mentors, great experiences, and difficult circumstances that have shaped his approach and authenticity. He's held leadership roles over at Aon Hewitt, but consultants and Towers parents, name a few. And he has an undergraduate degree from Michigan State and an MBA from Northwestern Kellogg School of Management. Chris, welcome to Lead the Team. Thanks, Ben. Looking forward to our conversation. Man, going through your LinkedIn profiles, like, I mean, it's like an all star list of consulting organizations. And I mean, my goodness, what a ride it's been, I sense. That is true. It has been a roller coaster ride. You know, sometimes I think you can look at somebody's LinkedIn profile a little bit like their Facebook. You know, you post all the good things, you see this, you know, career trajectory looks amazing, but certainly there have been ups and downs along the way in my 30-year career. Well, I hope we can dive into that today because we love to hear ups sure. and we love to hear downs. So we're going to get both. <laughs> Starting this thing out here, as Sir Richard Branson famously said, take care of your employees and they'll take care of your business. How does that vision drive the organization? Yeah, it's certainly one of the things that creates the kind of DNA at Virgin Pulse. We have made our people central. We talk about three things at Virgin Pulse, purpose, people, and performance. And getting those three things in balance was one of the key things that I focused on when I arrived on the scene. I think we had a very purpose-driven organization when I showed up. You know, our, our mission statement is to change lives for good. And we often talk about how we're changing lives for good, helping them focus on their preventative care, on episodic care conditions, or on chronic care issues. So we feel like we're like in the lives of the 17 million people that are on our platform. And so, so purpose has always been super clear. People had to be a focus. I felt like it was important to really invest in our culture and invest in our people. By the way, we talk about people, three kinds of people, three stakeholders, our clients, 
our members on our platform and our employees. All three of those people groups are, are important to us. Mm. And then finally, performance. Uh, it was important to get the balance right. Purpose-driven without performance, uh, not a right fit, certainly not a right fit mm-hmm. within a private equity-owned company. Uh, so we wanted to get that balance right to say we want to be performance-driven. We care about our ability to deliver for our clients and for our other stakeholders. Mm. Uh, and that matters alongside purpose and people. Well. Wow. So good. And I love how simple it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it keeps the focus on the right things. And also like how you go down one level and you're keeping people's attention focused on how you get there and you got to keep your stakeholders in, in mind in this. And I got to ask you, I mean, what's it like just telling people that you're CEO of a virgin company because the cachet of the Virgin brand is so high. I think I've read, I know I've at least read two of Sir Richard Brass's books. That's got to be cool, but, but what's it like when you introduce yourself? Yeah, a it's, a, it's a great consumer brand. And so being a part of Virgin is exciting from that perspective. It's a cutting yeah. edge, progressive brand, yeah. which is also amazing. I, I think, you know, when you introduce yourself, I'm the CEO of Virgin Pulse. First thing people want to know is, are you getting a ride on the on the spacecraft? Like they, <laughs> that's, that's what people want to hear. Are you getting a ride on the spacecraft? But uh, it's important to kind of direct that conversation to what we're doing for members in particular to help them with their healthcare. We're the only yeah. Virgin company really truly focused on healthcare and in particular U.S. healthcare. Hmm. So it's an important role that we play in helping members with that particular aspect of their day-to-day lives. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. They've got a real track record in that. I mean, I remember the days of like Hewitt Associates and which, you know, which became Aon Hewitt. I mean, you've been leading the charge. It's so many big companies and and now you're on this verge of one what you say is has all this a a little bit of the consumer brand aspect of it what's the difference in leading like a virgin pulse versus like an aeon hewitt yeah they're they're very different entities here's what's the same (laughs) at the bottom though Uh, i've been Uh, very fortunate to be at market leaders for most of my career and certainly a market leader in the brokerage and insurance space fantastic company love the experience uh, that I had at Aon. Then I went to a company called Alight. Alight was the absolute market leader in the benefits mm-hmm. administration space. And it was fantastic to lead that company. Uh, we spun it out of Aon. It went to Blackstone. I led it for its first three years. We created an enormous amount of value for, for shareholders and I think made the place better from a cultural perspective. And then you come to Virgin Pulse. It's a smaller organization, easier to get your arms around. But I came in 2021, in the middle of the pandemic. And So that creates its own unique challenges. What I love about Virgin Pulse is we're super clear about what we're doing every day Mm -hmm. is we rolled out this year to our employees. We talked about the why of the business the what of the business and the how of the business. And we're super clear. You know, the why is our mission statement to change lives for good. The what Mm -hmm. was a series of goals and objectives that we outlined for the company and a long-term vision. And then the how was how we were going to execute. What were the strategies that we were going to put in place? And in a company like Virgin Pulse, you can communicate that to 2,000 people pretty easily and and have them all kind of pulling the rope in the same direction relatively easy. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, again, being purpose-driven powers a lot of what we do. People are 
incredibly committed to the organization because of the kind of impact we're having on people. And that creates a ton of momentum as well. So how did you determine your leadership style? Yeah, I think leadership styles form over time. I I was very, Mm. very fortunate when I was in high school in my early college days to have a, a mentor and you know, the, the primary characteristic I would describe about his leadership t- style is authentic. He was a real guy. Like, I got to see him be a dad and understand kind of the aspects of, you know, both success and failure around his being a dad. That shaped a lot of the way I thought about mm-hmm. raising my children. But I most importantly saw kind of the way he led. And he didn't try to be on a pedestal. He didn't try to be honored. He had a certain kind of humility, but also mm. the strength of, of point of view and perspective. And I think his influence in my life, and he and I have talked about it a lot, his influence in my life back then created this kind of belief and commitment to authenticity. Uh, and so that that was an important kind of element early on. I think since then, like I, I love Pat Lencioni's books, you know, the five yeah. dysfunctions of a team, et cetera. Yeah. I actually, you know, have adapted that or taken that. And I've used that with my leadership teams to say, Hey, the very first place we have to begin to build great leaders in our organization is with trust. Mm. We have to trust yep. one another. It's the foundation of having high performance. If you don't trust each other, you won't confront each other. You won't be honest with each other. You got to create trust. And I think, again, trust comes from authenticity. If you're if you're not authentic, you're not going to build trust because people are going to see the fake in you. Mm. And so a lot of that sort of shaped the way that I lead uh, and what matters to me from a leadership perspective. So good. And authenticity i mean they can smell it if it's not right employees know customers know and and you said the word trust which is also so critical uh when's the time that in, in your career or as a leader that that trust really came into play and was helpful hmm. well i think when you uh, I'll, I'll start at Virgin Pulse. When you walk in as a, a new guy who's been selected by a private equity company to step in, I think out of the box, there can be some skepticism you know, uh, about that new leader and what his objectives are and, and what matters and, and so forth. And so you know, stepping into Virgin Pulse from scratch mm-hmm. to build a new leadership team and to take the company to the next level, I think I had to establish trust with with my leaders, with the group of people that you know were formed around me to to lead the company, and that happened through a series of predominantly offsites that we did over the course of about a year and mm. a half. We continue to do them today, and I started with the mm. principles of trust and the things that I believe about leadership, uh, and we did some we did some sharing together, we did some fun things together, we did some you know, business planning together. And over the course of a handful of these offsite meetings, I think I begin to establish trust with other people. I think the other thing was establishing trust with all employees. And it became clear, you know, it was tough to build relationships in a almost 100% virtual environment in 21 and 22. Mm. And so I did a series of employee coffee chats, I'm going to call them, you know, we, we meet from eight to nine in the morning, and I would really bring a five minute or 10 minute discussion about where I thought the company was going. And the rest of the time was sort of Q and a, what, what matters to you? What do you care about in groups of 10 or 15 people? And I probably did 15 of those meetings. And I think 
that enabled everybody in the organization, or at least the ones who cared enough to, you know, want to spend a little time with me, mm -hmm. it enabled them to see, hey, this is a real guy. And I would, you know, in one of them, a guy asked me, hey, tell me about you personally. Like, what do you do? And it's those moments where, you know, people start to say, hey, this guy's just like me. He cares about the same things I care about. And, you know, I believe and trust in him. And I think a lot of that built up inversion pulse over my first two years here. Good, good, good. So let's double click on that a little bit. Virtual, no, you let's start with the offsites. And those were, it sounds like those were so helpful with building trust with your team. Was there one exercise or are you guys doing trust falls or you know, what was the most uh, memorable thing you guys did that you think really helped accelerate the trust between the team or amongst the team? I think maybe two things that we did early on. One of them is, uh, you know, obviously we did leadership assessment. We we took a leadership assessment tool. Hey, what's your strengths? Yeah. What makes you unique? You know, how, what's the likely characteristics you're going to rely on and fall into? Uh, we we looked at sure. those things. But the other thing that we did is we actually had people go back and build a timeline of their life in the most influential circumstances of their life, going all the way back to being young to better understand the context of who they are and how they were shaped. And what you find when you do that with people is they tell you some things, they expose some things that were circumstances in their life that were significant. For some, it was, I had multiple members on the team that are diverse members of the team, and they would tell a story about you know how they were impacted early in their life around, mm -hmm. around diversity, for example. And when you hear that story, you know that person a little bit deeper. You connect with them a little bit better. And trust begins to build because you say, okay, you're like me. I have circumstances in my life that were difficult or hard or that shaped me as an individual. I empathize and I see you and I hear you. And then when I'm in a discussion with you later on, I can have a dialogue with you knowing who you are, not just as a coworker, but as a person. And I think that was critical to building this kind of underlying framework of trust across the team. Uh, and, and one of the things that has built, you know, I think better relationships across our team of, you know, 10 people. What a cool activity. I love that. I mean, that's something that leaders could do with their team at offsite and it's just so practical and it allows you to discover, to discover common ground, understand the influential moments. And as a matter of fact, I could see that being helpful for podcasting. Right. Any leader to go back and, and reflect on those times. And I don't think people do that enough. No, I agree. It's, a, it, you know, the degree of transparency and honesty that is required to tell the stories of your youth, you know, go through high school. What happened to you there? What were the, you know, influential moments come to college and then, you know, and, and then the work world. You know, we spend most of our working hours, Ben, as you know, at work, uh, most of our working hours, most of our total hours at work. Yeah. And so I've always believed bringing a little bit of work and life together in the workplace is really important to creating the kind of place where, you know, where people can really thrive. Oh, I love it. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Now, you mentioned you've had a lot of ups and downs in your career. You share with us maybe one of your favorite ups to share and one of your favorite downs to share. 
Yeah, uh, favorite ups. I mean, I, I think when I was at Ant, you had running the commercial function there. I think I was at the peak of my game. You know, I was below the CEO level. So there's a little cover, you know, like when you're below the CEO, just one level below, there's a little bit more freedom of operation than if you're at the CEO level. I have, mm-hmm. I have personally found. So I won't speak for all CEOs, but that's what I have found. And so well, I had yeah. freedom, greater freedom. Of Take operation. some more rest because someone else yeah. is going to speak to the, uh, to Wall Street about it. Exactly or the right. Board. Yeah, exactly right. So, yeah. um, and I think I was just really in a groove with my team and with my people. Uh, I think they believed in me and trusted in me. Uh, I believed in them. We were succeeding in what we were trying to take on. And it just felt like one of those moments where everything was clicking. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. Uh, and I can, I'll go back mm-hmm. to different points of, of, of the, along the way in that part of my career. And, and it's really a celebration. In fact, I, you know, a group of people just got together this weekend from that era uh, oh, and, okay. you know, spent a little time together. And I, I think when relationships transcend the work environment, That's- Cool. You're no longer there. That's cool. And that's a, something special happened in that particular. It's like an alumni network type deal from that time period. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was small, it was smaller group, but yes. What was the secret sauce going on then? Um, well, I think it's a lot of things we've already talked about. I think it was, you know, partly my leadership, partly the group of people that we were able to assemble over that mm-hmm. period of time. I think it was having a compelling product and set of capabilities in the marketplace, being part of a larger organization that also felt, you know, very uh, mission driven and strategic, mm-hmm. you know, all, all those pieces come together. It's not any one piece. It certainly it wasn't, you know, by any means, just me, but, you know, when all the pieces click, you know, it's really fun to be a part of. Mm. I like it. And so maybe take us on another ride down the other side of the roller coaster on the down, down end. Sometimes yeah, the um, question is what, like, what's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Yeah, when I was uh, when I was forty years old, I took over Buck at the time, which was a twenty five hundred person consulting firm, global consulting firm. Mm-hmm. I would say that was like a dream job for me in a lot of regards, particularly at 40, like to be able to take that over. I was the first non-actuary. Yeah. Yeah. It was early first non-actuary first non-New Yorker to take over the company and, and run it. And over the course of the year and a half that I was doing that, there was a lot of expectations that were out of alignment with the possibility. Sometimes, you know, hmm. sometimes management, it was, the business was acquired and the expectations for the business just didn't align with what the business could do. And that's a tough place to lead from when the Mm -hmm. expectations don't align with, you know, what the business is really going to do. And by the way, that's proven out by when a leader leaves and a new leader comes in and the results don't get that much better. And the new leader comes in and the results don't get that much better. Like, Business, mm-hmm. some businesses they have. I don't want to say they have a cap, but they have a, a kind of runway. You, they need mm-hmm. to run through a series of events. I ended up leaving Buck uh, and leaving under. You know, I would consider it to be challenging circumstances, and it, it's one of the big lessons learned in my life. You know, around around that departure, and mm-hmm. I am a person who. I'd say my life has been shaped by the furnace uh, more than it has been shaped by the sunlight. Like being in the furnace <laughs> has been 
much more difficult for me than being in the sunlight, you know, like, and I've learned more lessons from being in the furnace than being in the sunlight. And so I left there, you know, with a handful of lessons about what to do next. I also decided to kind of downshift a little bit. I went from running that company, uh, which was about a $400 million company to being the head of sales for 32 salespeople and $32 million worth of quota. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I go from 2,500 people, global consulting to I'm the head of sales for 32 guys who carry a million dollar quota. And, you know, it was a good downshift and it Mm -hmm. created the opportunity for me to kind of rebuild and rethink and, uh, and reemerge at the end of that process uh, as the CEO of light, you know, uh, about a decade later and much better prepared for, for that job and role. Mm. Man, I love that quote about having your career forged by the furnace (laughs) versus the sunlight. And I think, you know, crucible moments, you know, the crucible leader, that's kind of like the furnace. And we all, I think every leader has that, but not all like to share it. And so I think you're very congruent with your authenticity that you're willing to share that tough time in your career and what you learned. And I mean, what a humbling experience too, right? To go and you're leading the sales team. And, you, and, you, and I liked the, what you said, rebuild. Yeah. Because that's what happened, right? You rebuild, you rebuilt and came back and kind of, I, it doesn't sound like your career deviated a lot from that moment when you came back, but you got bigger roles. And now here you are, you know, working for Virgin. Yeah, it came back around, you know, like I'm I'm a huge believer in redemption, like, you know, the you know, yeah. I've seen it in my personal life, I've seen it in my work situations where, you know, if you learn from those crucible moments, if you apply the lessons with a certain amount of humility, you make a comeback. And then that comeback is like it, it's all the more sweeter when you make that comeback. And so, you know, a few you know, 10 years or, yeah, it was really 10 years after that moment, I ended up taking over as the CEO of Light, a $2.3 billion mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. with 23,000 employees. And, you know, honestly, I wouldn't have guessed it uh, that that it was going to come out that way. And it was a, a decade of work to end up in that place, uh, in that kind of better place. So. Hmm. Also, I've got a lot of questions coming to mind, but one is, during that that difficult time in your career, what motivated you and inspired you to keep moving and shaking? Yeah, I, I I'd say first I'm a competitor, so you know. All while, right. While I recognized, you know, I needed to maybe take a little step back for a little bit. I'm a competitor, and so I'm going to go in there and try to absolutely compete to do my best to prove my mm-hmm. value, et cetera. So that competitive instinct never sort of went, went away. I, like know, it. I, I think that's probably, that's that, probably you're a like lot game of, on, man. That's right. Game on. There was a, there, there was a bit of, there was a time of humility and then there was a time to get back in the game and try to, you know, oh. say, Hey, I can make a big difference here. And, you know, I, I don't want to take a lot of all the credit having people who believe in you, really matters. Uh, and so my boss at Aon, she believed in me. Like she, she's like, you're an athlete now and we're going to put you in the game. I don't know how, you know, I, I remember when she made my job offer to me, she's like, there's three jobs you could do here. 
and it, it bolstered my confidence. Hey, I am an athlete. Like, yeah, I, I'm scarred from this experience I just had and some of my own, the difficult circumstances, some of my own bad decision-making, but like I'm back in the game and her, her vote of confidence in me, Catherine Haley, uh, if you hear this thing, you know, Catherine made a huge difference in kind of putting me back on the field and giving me the right form of encouragement and confidence to say, Hey, I can make a difference in this environment. And, you know, again, over 10 years, you know, good things happen. This competitor mindset to help fuel you, is this something that is just inherent to who you are per se from like a young age, or did you foster it and nurture it as, uh, as something that you wanted to bring more into your life and, and your style? Yeah. Young age, uh, I go back and tell my story when I when I do that thing that we talked about. Yeah, earlier, yeah tell me. And tell tell us. Story. Yeah, there's you know I when I was a little kid I played football. Uh, when I was in third grade, I was the third string center on the B team. Uh, so I was terrible. But when Wait, I was in the third string center yeah, you, on the B team, you, okay, yeah, you right. can't get lower than that. that. Yeah, it was, it, I was not good. But then when I was in fourth grade. I had matured a little bit and there was one particular practice where I, this sounds terrible. I don't mean it to sound terrible, but I knocked a kid out and it was this moment. Like football. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's football. It's football. I knocked a kid, you know, I don't know if he was out uh, You're in fourth grade. I don't remember all the details, but in my head, that's the story. I'm yeah, telling that's myself. the story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah. It, that fueled my competitiveness. Like that was, that fueled my desire to be kind of in the game and playing at the best level I could play. And I remember from that day forward, like I wanted to be successful in sports and in anything that I did. And I think that was the the spark that lit the competitive, yeah. the competitor inside of me. Oh, cool. You're like, wow, I can do that. I can compete. Yeah. Is there, all right. So a lot of times people who, who use, you know, a lot of sports vernacular, like competitor within, have movies, coaches, or even music that they find to be inspirational. So where where do you go to draw that? Do you have there are certain teams? I mean, uh, you're Chicago guys, so there's no shortage of legend, legendary sports yeah. teams. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe movies are a good place to go. I have I really have two movies that I love uh, a lot. One I, I love Field of Dreams. Oh. And I, I love the dream part of Feel the Dreams. Like, okay, tell us. I, I, you know, like if, if you did my, uh, my strength finder, one of my five strengths would be visionary, you know, being a visionary. And I think Feel the Dreams appeals to that part of who I am. Like, you know, having a vision for accomplishing something or for something happening in the future. And I think Feel the Dreams, that whole, like, if you build it, they will come. If you build and, it, they will come. Such a lot. Yeah. It just whispers throughout the movie. If you yeah. tell that they will come. Is that that's what's going <laughs> that's on in your brain when you go into these companies? It, it is a little <laughs> like, bit like you know, yeah. We put a we had put a big hairy audacious goal in front of our people at Virgin Pulse, and you know, that we would by 2025, we'd be a billion dollar company. It's part of that kind of like I need that vision. I need that mm. pathway to say, you know, what's the big thing we're going for? And I think feel the dreams kind of just you know really appeals to that part of who I am. Oh so. And what was the second? You said there was a two movie. There was a second movie. Yeah, the other one is Shawshank Redemption. And, oh, yes. you know, and I I mentioned earlier that I believe in redemptive stories, and um, you know, and Shawshank Redemption is just this redemptive story about this guy who, at the end of the day, had a lot of character, 
And it was unfortunate, you know, that it had to go through the process it went through, but he emerges on the other side of it, like kind of a better man almost. And so I love the redemptive story of Shawshank Redemption. And so uh, I've used that story in various ways along the way to kind of talk to people about, uh, about their own lives and how they unfold. So good. Yeah. Forged by the furnace. If you want an example of that, you listen to this interview, or you can listen to Andy's story in Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> exactly right. Or, yeah. In prison for a crime he did not commit yeah. uh, and goes through, oh my gosh, so much. But yeah. Yeah. An incredible transition for his character. Well, that, what he became. Redeemed. One of the great lines at the end of that movie is all it takes is pressure and time. Uh, and pressure and time is, you know, and he breaks out of that wall. It's a, it, it's a great story. There's nothing better than, you know, his holding his arms in the air once he gets out, uh, while it's raining down on him. It's, it's a great the little sewage. moment. Oh, Absolutely right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And my daughter's 12 and I can't wait to show her that movie. I think she's going to love yeah. it one day. Um, so starting to wind this up, I kind of want to get your parting thought on the interview, but also I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk a little bit more about your company at Virgin Pulse, because the mental health, healthcare technology, sometimes it seems like the technology we have isn't helping health, right? With social media, with all this connectedness that maybe not be real authentic connection. And um, where, where do you see all this going with technology and healthcare? I really believe that there will be a handful of companies that become consolidators of a very complex ecosystem that exists within health today. Mm. Uh, I think it's become very challenging for the individual. In, let's stick with self-insured employers. You know, the the member who's a, uh, a part of a self-insured employer to navigate all of the difficulties mm. and opportunities that their companies create around their healthcare. You know, for example, we have an ecosystem of seventy partners. For any individual employer, they might be deploying. You know. 10 different partners to address muscular skeletal issues or hypertension issues or weight loss issues, et cetera. What we're trying to be at Virgin Pulse is that consolidator, that company that creates a single front door. Uh, we call it our home base for health. We want to create that single front door to help people wherever they are in their healthcare journey. So if they're healthy and they want to continue to focus on their preventative healthcare, we're going to push them content and incentives and so forth to help them focus on being continuing to focus on their, their uh, both mental and physical health. But if they're in an episodic situation, we actually want to be able to get them on the phone with somebody to help them figure out what's my best next step in this situation that might be affecting them or their parents or their child. Mm. And then if they're in a chronic situation, which so many U.S. employees are, uh, nearly 50% of people have two chronic conditions that they're wrestling with. And it's those you know multiple morbidities that people are struggling with. They need help. They need content. They need accountability to address the ongoing chronic conditions that they're facing. And so we want to be there for people, whether it's preventative, whether it's episodic, or whether it's chronic. And we want to help knit together an experience that's both digital and, you know, and personal at the same time to help them navigate those most difficult situations. Man, I see this tying into your field of dreams analogy perfectly. If you build it, they will come. And you've built 70, who yeah. knows how many more, but, uh, man, man, congratulations on that. When you, 
So kind of winding this up here, when your time passes at, at here at Virgin Pulse, which probably gonna be a long time away, but when it does, what do you hope would have happened? I go back to stakeholders and you, you'll find with me a lot goes back to stakeholders. You know, okay. one, you know, I, I want our clients to feel like they were with a trusted advisor who made a difference in their organizations. Like mm-hmm. I want us to be a most admired kind of company by our clients. That's really important to me. Number two, I want us to be seen as an innovator. I want us mm-hmm. to be one of the leading edge companies. And for people to say, hey, listen, that company is is making a difference and forging new ground around healthcare in an innovative sort of way. And then finally, I want to see us be a growth company that is continuing to deliver value back to its shareholders. And then I want us to be a great place to work for our employees. Like if, if we do those four things, if we are innovative, if we grow, if we're admired by our clients, and, and if we deliver value back to our shareholders and are a great place to work, like those are the things. And, you know, I actually presented those back to our team uh, at the beginning of this year. Like if we can accomplish those four things, uh, that would be fantastic. We were just recognized by one of the outside companies as a great place to work. And it's like validation. If you if you say, hey, we're going to go down this path together we're all in it together, all 2,000 of us at Virgin Pulse. We're all in it together. I think we can achieve that. We're growing at you know higher rates than we've grown at over the last couple of years. Uh, and I believe we're being perceived by our clients as uh, in my company and in, as an innovator. And so those are the things that I really want. And we're well on our way to going in those directions. Yeah, I love it. It all, it all ties back to your vision of, of changing lives for good. And a lot of people just think of, you know, think about, hey, that's my customers' lives. And I think you're delivering on that message here, but you're also applying it to your employees. Like, hey, they're working for you at your company, and you want to change their lives for good too. I think yeah, that's a I want the, back, man. Yeah, I want the uh the eight hours a day or however many they spend here. I want those to be valuable hours. I want them to feel great about the work they're doing. I want them to feel fantastic about their colleagues. One of our uh values is one team, one dream. I want us to be in it together and I want them to feel that. And so in the great news, Ben, like somebody sent me one of our people sent me a message after they heard that we were recognized as a great place to work. She said, you know, the great thing, Chris, is when I'm on LinkedIn, people come to me and say, I see what's going on at Virgin Pulse and I want to be a part of that. And those are people Mm. who don't even work here today who are seeing it. And that is just amazing validation. Yeah, it is. Oh my gosh. You're creating that magnetic pull versus going out and having to find people to join your team. You want people knocking on the door and it sounds like you're well on your way with that. Chris, Thank you for coming on today. A lot of fun. And I don't know about the listeners, but I definitely would not bet against you and your team. <laughs> we're going to do all right. I, I think we're going to do okay. But thank you, Ben, for having me. This was a great conversation and uh, look forward to hearing it. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.
Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.